Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host from Invent. Welcome to um, another uh, edition of the uh, Construction Big Breakfast. Um, still in lockdown, as you can see, but maybe, depending on how things go by the time this is released, we might be free to see each other in the flesh, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, today, our special guest is Ben from Assail. Ben, can you introduce yourself briefly? Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, so my name is Ben Shannon. Uh, I'm an architect at Assail Architecture. Uh, but my job ties were actually just changed before lockdown to uh, head of well-being, which is quite timely. I think it's probably a subject that a lot of us are talking and thinking about at the moment. Um, but yeah, so traditionally a background in architecture, but now really thinking, talking, writing and designing all things well-being. Excellent. And um, as always, when we have uh, something architectural to talk about, we bring Sarah in, our resident architect, um, Hi, just everyone. to make sure that... Um, you know, as QSs and engineers, don't just go and bash the architect. You know, we have to have a fair about <laughs> to the conversation. Um, so, as always, our regular listeners will know that the first thing that we always ask our guest is, "What did you have for breakfast?" So, I'm on I'm on the bagel hype at the moment. So, I've been since we went to lockdown, I've been eating lots of bagels. Uh, I just feel I find they're like quite comfort quite comforting. Like comfort food right now is quite important, but trying to balance it out with a bit of a bit of uh, cycling, running, exercise as much as possible, although some days uh, tougher than others. Um, so I had a kind of New York style bagel today, some cream cheese, some like nice ham in there as well. So yeah, good, nice start to the day, hearty breakfast. Very much so. And how Sarah, guys? how about you? No, I had a bowl of porridge with berries and bananas. So the usual thing, <laughs> not very interesting. What about you, Ben? Yeah, no, the same. And I, I keep saying I'm going to do something different next time. So a bit more interesting, but no porridge again. Sounds <laughs> like you guys are healthier than me. Uh, well, I, I mean, I've lockdown has helped me um, focus a little bit on sort of being a bit healthier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, a bit more time, you know, when you're not commuting. Um, I've uh, become a, a Joe Wicks fan. Um, yeah. In, in in lockdown try and get sort of at least half hour in with him in the morning um a sort of slightly healthier breakfast get sort of yeah energized uh, uh, and awake and started doing a little bit of cycling but from what i see from your or well, when you're not moaning about the royal parks um <laughs> don't get me started about richmond Park. everywhere else in london is like opening up new cycle routes trying to promote cycling and encourage healthy healthy uh travel and commuting and they they closed Richmond Park to cyclists. It's crazy. It right. is. Yeah, you would think they'd be encouraging sort of more of it rather than less of it. It doesn't make sense to me, but I don't know. I'm sure there's a logic there. Yeah, they, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so for for a bit of um, sort of further context uh, for sort of the podcast and um, sort of why we sort of reached out to a sale. So we've known a sale a couple of years now, and you guys have been doing some interesting, really interesting stuff really pushing the envelope on uh, sort of changing um, how users interact with um, with the buildings they live in um, really changing sort of you know the impact that has has on people's lives and stuff like that and it's fascinating and with everything that's going on around us um, 
you know, it's really shown some weaknesses, I think, uh, hasn't it, in sort of the environment that we um, that we live in, in what is granted an extreme circumstance. Yeah. Um, but it has um, sort of raised questions in how we built with sort of the people who live there in mind. I think that's that's definitely true to an extent. Yeah, we, we did a survey, which I think you guys have seen um, quite early on in lockdown, actually, within the first month of lockdown, because we we kind of saw it as a bit of an opportunity, you know, in a way we're all kind of guinea pigs at the moment. And we're all stuck in our own homes, um, you know, probably 95% of our lives right now. So um, we we wanted to try and find out how people's homes were working for them and, and how what, what was what was keeping people's spirits up, what people were finding really challenging about their homes. And it was interesting what we what we got back, actually. We kind of found that people um, really valuing things like daylight, which you don't necessarily think um, are, you know, they're not always top of the priority list when we're talking about, um, you know, when we think about homes, although light was the first chapter in in my book, um, Happy yeah. by Design. So something that I, I've been shouting about for a long time, trying to get more light into people's homes and not just um, because it makes us feel better, but also apparently, you know, homes with more daylight have been shown to have lower levels of bacteria in and stuff. So all very relevant when we're talking about um sort of illnesses pandemics things like that um but also things like outdoor space are really really important and obviously more and more of us are now living in cities i think um we're, we're getting close to i think maybe over 50 percent of people now living in cities so um it's yeah it's becoming more and more of an issue we've got to start thinking about the typology of the home the apartment and how can we design homes that work for us in all scenarios uh, because obviously what we've found is this is a very, very different scenario to what we're used to, as you said. And our homes generally do work pretty well for us when we're spending our mornings and evenings and weekends in them. But actually, when we're forced to spend all day, every day in them, and we have to use them also as our, they become our offices, they become our gyms. Um, do, are they really, do, do they work for that use? Are they flexible enough and are they adaptable enough? I, I don't know. Yeah, you go from thinking you've got loads of space to all of a sudden going, oh, there's no room anymore. Where, you know, where's my private sort of space? And Yeah, absolutely. And I think things like storage as well, again, kind of one of the least glamorous parts of architecture and design. Um, you never get on the front cover of an architecture magazine because you've designed great storage in your apartments. But um, it's, it's, you know, this lockdown has really shown us the ability to actually have enough space for all our stuff, particularly as we've all rushed to the shops, I'm sure, and bought like home workout equipment and all that kind of stuff. I've I've taken up painting again, which has really like helped me to feel like I've got a sense of achievement during what's been obviously quite a frustrating few months. Um, but you know, with that comes loads of extra stuff. You've got like canvases and brushes and paints and all kinds of stuff. So my fiance is tearing her hair out because there's just stuff everywhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, the importance of storage is huge. And it's, as I said, something that's probably a bit underappreciated pre-lockdown. Yeah, no, I mean, um, so I live um, sort of in the suburbs out Essex way. Um, and so I've lived in this house now since about 2012. And I remember going to a few sort of new build estates and just walking around and you know, by then I had two kids, so I knew the importance of storage. <laughs> um, yeah. And going around going, all right, where does everything go? Where does the yeah. stuff go? It was sort of a, a real sort of shift to sort of minimalism almost in, in sort of in, in house design, especially just like, oh, yeah. I can't put anything anywhere. I can barely put a bed in here, never mind a bed in a wardrobe. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, like, to what extent kind of the, the popularity of modernism and that kind of minimalist approach, that, that almost that Marie Kondo approach of, like, get rid of everything you can possibly get rid of. Like, I, I wonder what impact that's had on architecture and design, whether that's played a role in the kind of homes we see now, because you go and see most new build homes and, and they are, you know, pretty much everything is like plain white, plasterboard everywhere. And it's great because it makes these nice, bright spaces which feel big um but we don't really feel we don't get a lot of natural materials in our homes anymore um you're right things like storage are often overlooked and in space standards now you know for a um a two-person apartment you get a meter and a half uh, meter and a half squared of storage in a home which is next to nothing you know so actually uh, for, for me and i think a sale we've really been focusing on is trying to that idea of livability, trying to create and design homes that are really livable, that make people feel great every single day when they use them, and that ultimately are going to benefit people's health, both physical and mental health. Well, personally, because I live in an apartment in, in London, so now more than ever we experience the importance of design and of the storages and, you know, having a balcony or yeah. even a garden, you know, uh, on, on, on the relation with the outdoor world, since now we are locked it's been like three months now so this had a tremendous effect yeah, yeah. Uh, on our well-being i mean thank god i have big windows but you know a garden would be very beneficial <laughs> yeah no absolutely i i live in a, an apartment building as well and um i don't have a, a private outdoor space we've got a shared roof garden um which now people are a bit more relaxed about using for, for people who so for a time reference what are we at now we're mid-june so um the lockdown measures are gradually easing and people are a bit more comfortable. Shops are open now, for example. Um, so people are a bit more comfortable being in each other's company. But certainly for the first month or two of lockdown, no one was really using that outdoor roof garden because it's not enormous and people didn't want to be sat too close to each other. So yeah. um, that's certainly something I think that has emerged out of this is the that importance of both private outdoor space or communal outdoor space that has kind of subdivided areas and you know areas that people can occupy at different times i mean on on the note of safety i mean how do you think architects will be able to integrate measures in the design not only considered to safety because of you know of the COVID situation but as well sensitive to well-being i mean do you think there's yeah. a balance that could I, be I really achieved do. yeah i think it's something we have to be a little bit cautious about because um the instinctive kind of i suppose the non non-designed approach is right let's just put perspex screens up everywhere which great it solves the problem to an extent but we've got to think more about it's about more than just keeping people safe keeping people safe is like the bare minimum we have to go above and beyond that we have to keep people safe but also keep them happy and and at the end of the day people are going to start returning to their offices soon if they haven't already mm -hmm. um and the last thing we we're going to want to do is walk into an office that a looks completely different to the place we left like so it's almost unrecognizable b kind of big screens up everywhere so you feel like actually you're almost maybe in those kind of 1970s style cubicles i don't know if you've ever seen the film the matrix where they're all in these like identical little boxes Full of plexiglass yeah no, no one's <laughs> like a battery chicken at work um and, and also you know coming in i can imagine places just yes we have to clean but places stinking of bleach and feeling very sterile almost like a laboratory hospital yeah you can picture that experience <laughs> walking into that walking back into that office and that's not going to be a nice experience for a lot of people people who are already probably feeling quite anxious about returning to work quite nervous or potentially even scared um so i think we need to think bigger picture and yes we have to keep people safe but we need to consider 
ways in which we can do it that actually make people feel good and feel comfortable too. Yeah, and I mean the offices. Um, you've got two types of offices as well. I mean, I mean, a sale have got a, a a wonderful building, and it's your building. You're the only tenant. Whereas you know we've got we share with others. Yeah. You've got the communal and services. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then uh, you know I also go to Canada, not for a while, obviously, but I used to go every sort of six weeks or so. And we were in a WeWork there. I mean, how how comfortable will you feel where everything is open to anyone and everyone and how will that work and what sort of yeah. what will the shifts and the changes um there be it'll be interesting will be yeah i, I think it's we'll right. starting to shift wasn't it into being sort of more comfortable in each other's space yeah <laughs> absolutely although not interestingly from a lot of the research not everyone was seeming to love that like obviously things like hot desking and open plan offices were you know very much the norm pre-lockdown mm. but actually when you are, when you start asking people how they feel about hot desking, the, the results were always quite mixed, and not everyone did love it. So I don't, it, it will be interesting to see what kind of office typology emerges as the dominant one post lockdown, and whether um, you know this is just short term and we get a vaccine and we return to the open plan hot desking very quickly, or um, whether people start to think about other approaches. Um, I, I certainly think when you when you're looking at shared office spaces or certainly shared common spaces, we're going to see. A, a rise of like trying to el eliminate touch from a lot of stuff so mm. probably um yeah, ironically touch screens were just becoming kind of they were <gasps> when they touch screens were everywhere and now you think about how many fingers have touched that screen it's, it's kind of quite gross when you think about it now <laughs> <laughs> you know we're always being told how dirty our mobile phones are well imagine it imagine an ipad that's had a thousand people a day touching it so i think we'll probably see a lot of that actually maybe a bit of a step back from that yeah. Um, might be interesting to see whether we, we go a bit more old school with kind of traditional sign-in books where everyone uses their own pens just sign in on, on paper which seems so outdated now but maybe it was a good system um so uh yeah it'll be I mean, there's definitely there'll be less sort of you know monday to friday nine to five i think absolutely it's definitely allow people to embrace sort of digital tools a little bit better and understand and hopefully you know that can help uh, move to a better work-life balance uh, and ultimately support sort of better well-being for for, for everyone. Um, so I, I mean, just sort of, uh, sort of going back to a little bit more about you, Ben. I mean, um, I think from memory you went to um, to uni in God's country, didn't you? When you were Cardiff uni in boy. Cardiff, I did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I went to uni in Cardiff during when Wales had pretty much the best team in world rugby um, and they won, I can't remember if it was two or three grand slams during my time there, but it was, it was dark years for me anyway. As an Great Englishman. place to be. Tough, Great place to be. I, might, I might have passed you on Queen Street a couple of times. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I don't know if um, I remember. How did, so how did your journey into sort of, you, you know, embracing and, and seeing the importance of well-being um, in, in what you sort of design, how, how did that happen for you? So, I mean, I'd always been interested in the idea of like kind of human centric design. And it was something that Cardiff, the Welsh School of Architecture is um, like prides itself on, really. I remember one project we actually started and um, the whole idea was you start from the inside out. So you could start with a really small feature from someone's home. So it might be like a sink or even just like a door handle or something that an object that someone uses every day. And you start with the design of that and then you work outwards. Um, and you know obviously uh, the, the approach in architecture is of, often quite different to that you start with footprints and work inwards but trying to encourage that that sense of designing for the person 
Um, but then when I was actually in my mid twenties, uh, I kind of had a, some issues with my, my, my own with my mental health. So, um, basically just burnt myself out. I was working, pushing myself way too hard. Um, I should say not on my employer's request, but being a perfectionist myself, just really, I just felt that I had to put in the time I had to, everything I did had to be completely perfect. And, you know, um, so the nth iteration just resolved and resolved and resolved. And eventually that just, you can't, you can't do that. It's not sustainable to do that for, for years on end. And, um, I basically uh, just got to the point where my brain, I think my brain was just a bit overloaded. And so ended up having um, some problems with anxiety for a couple of years, which thankfully I got help with and um, came out the other side and all better now. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a difficult couple of years. But what it really did was gave me this um, kind of interest in in that subject or particularly mental health is where I kind of started. It was my jumping off point for this subject. And I was interested in how obviously I was designing buildings every single day. And I wanted to make sure that actually they were being beneficial to people's mental health and the stuff, the moves we were making, the, the designs we were producing were actually going to have a positive impact on how people felt when they used those spaces. Uh, and it kind of sounds obvious, like it sounds like we should all be doing that as architects. But I realised that we hadn't really been taught about necessarily the psychological impacts of stuff at university. So hence that's why I wrote my book. Um, I just realised there's a lot of easy moves we can all do as architects to try and in, to improve this stuff and uh, just wanted to get the word out there really and share it with other architects, with developers um, and make sure we were all, we all had a better understanding of the subjects. And how yeah, exactly. You sorry, you go, sorry. I just wanted to add on this. I mean, as, as you just mentioned, uh, I think personally as well, the relation with, between architecture and mental health and well-being should be strengthened uh, during the education of the architect, because I studied architecture as well. I mean, you can tell that relationship between architecture and engineering already exists from a long time ago, but uh, we study, for example, uh, to make design uh, more in relation to the environment, more sustainable. However, its impact on our well-being is sometimes over looked where the collaboration I think between uh, the medical world and the school of architecture is less obvious. Uh, so what do you think after doing all this research uh, about architecture and its relation with the well-being? What do I think? Well it's, it's vital really. I mean it's... in terms of in terms of integrating this into the curriculum of architecture if you want to say oh, it. I think we are we're already seeing it start to happen um, kind of actually by demand on demand like from the demand from students so uh, I've been asked to go and speak in numerous universities now on the subject which is really good um, where have I been Cardiff, Liverpool, Edinburgh, um, Cambridge so quite a few universities are becoming interested in the subject it's, it's largely because students are actually stepping up and saying that we want to know more about this because you can imagine like students nowadays as well like that kind of Generation Z that's coming through, they're very interested in things like mental health. They're, they're having conversations about mental health in a way that our generation never did because it just wasn't really talked about mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Um, so they are now all designing, pro a lot of them are designing projects about mental health or thinking I want to design a place that supports great mental health and, and they want to know how to do that. So I think it is naturally going to be integrated into the curriculum more and more um, but also we're learning a lot more about how buildings affect our physical health we're getting things like the well building standard coming through now which, mm. which I'm involved with yeah. um, and just um, trying to make sure that really everything we build is you know using healthy materials that aren't going to create really like poisonous air quality indoors and things like that which 
sound again sounds obvious but you wouldn't believe like how much stuff how many chemicals like our furniture flooring carpets window sealants they all kick out these chemicals into the air and we just never learn about them so things are changing and and i think people people need to be aware of this stuff because in a few years time it's all going to be man it's going to be mandatory so do you think it's sort of going to be a sort of more of a groundswell of change so it's the the new architects coming into the industry that'll just do it rather than clients starting to become more informed because I, I hate it as an industry we're too reliant on waiting for the client to say what you know they'll 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 adopt it they'll want to do something different otherwise i won't bother um and it doesn't always happen because of that weight no it's a bit of both we, what we are seeing is the general public is becoming a lot more interested in uh, how buildings support their health um just as you say because they're becoming better educated they're getting a better understanding of this stuff it's being written about in national newspapers um so people are starting to care a lot more about the impact of their home on their well-being and, or just any building on their well-being but we're also seeing it actually coming a lot from as you say from the people at the top whether it's the funders or the clients they're starting to incorporate things like health and well-being into their um, ESG strategies and into their KPIs so actually you know it, funders now for example are starting to say with with built to rent developments that actually we we are one of our kind of conditions is that this development must have a focus on human health. It must potentially, maybe it might have to meet well standard or it might have to um, meet these certain criteria um, because nobody, at the end of the day, nobody wants to be seen as producing a development which is kind of going to have a negative impact on health. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that it's kind of coming from top down and bottom up and, and they are meeting in the middle now. And we're seeing more and more clients becoming interested in the topic of health and well-being, uh, which is partly why my new role came about really because I was spending as much time uh, speaking to clients about well-being as I was actually about you know traditional architecture um, and I, I do think there's a real possibility that um, as we learn more and more over the next few years and people are going to start expecting better and better quality and standard of homes uh, if you if we, we may potentially reach a stage where if you're not designing homes with a, a strong well-being focus then actually there, there just won't be the demand for them much in a way now that there's a kind of minimum expectation in terms of sustainability and um, insulation and, and carbon and all of these um, kind of eco issues. I think we can see the same sort of stuff happening with health and well-being. And I think technology as well has a big role in filling the gap because now we can see that, for example, neuroarchitecture are, uh, is discussed more than ever now with the presence of the IoT maybe where we can, where we are able to track uh, the occupants and collect data and then use it you know, to improve the maybe working environments, uh, their house, their uh, pollution level. Um, so, yeah, I think that's right. And I think actually we as an industry have probably um, fallen short slightly when it comes to um, post occupancy evaluation and actually learning how our buildings are working for the people who are using mm -hmm. them. That's again, that's something that we're trying to push more now at a sale and try to do more post occupancy evaluation so we can really understand you know, okay, we place the cycle store here, we place the, the bin store here. How does that work for people well, in everyday lives? Because these are the spaces that they get used every single day by people. Again, they're not necessarily the glamorous spaces, but they're actually, they affect people's lives every single day. Um, and, you know, things like, okay, we used full height windows in some apartments. We used um, 800 mil windows in other apartments. How has that affected the user experience? Which do they prefer and which has worked best? So 
uh, really trying to get a, a broad set of data that, that explains actually how all of our decisions are impacting residents. And what we can um, do do more of and be better at as well is um, we wait for you know, the formal answer. You know, here's here's the survey, and if you don't fill out that survey, we never know. Whereas, you know, so many people will just tell you on social media anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. whether, whether they're enjoying their experience. And you know, it's not particularly snooping, but sort of is, I guess. You, you know, there's that fine line between Big Brother and actually sort of using what they're saying in the public domain for ultimately the greater good, because you're looking to further improve their experience and future experience of the next development. Yeah, absolutely. And every single industry does it. Um, you know, they they'll put out a product and they'll um, they'll see how people are getting on with it. They'll see what they need to improve in the next version and, and they will make those improvements and see what worked and what didn't work. And as I said, in the property industry, perhaps historically, it hasn't been as good at doing that as other industries. Um, so I think this is definitely an area that can be improved and it can make a big difference. It's the um, one of the the challenges the um, our industry has um, is with the so the existing stock and the older stock. I mean, it's yeah. a, sort of a challenge from a sustainability point of view. We've tried to ignore um, for for a long time, even though it creates more carbon than most things sort of in the country. Um, you know, we we're always doing very good in improving the new stuff, but actually creating a, a, a nice easy solution for how do I turn sort of you know that 70s house into something highly sustainable yeah. similar for all from a well-being perspective what do we have to change to to the existing stock or is the actual the materials that we were using then like you say just full, so full of stuff that will, will never really allow you the windows being in the wrong place and the wrong size and um, you know can you get the you know, more light without overheating and all those things is it that the existing stock is just lost to us um I, I'd, or... I'd say the opposite i actually when if we take for example a victorian house um it's quite a good example mm. actually you know those those the people designing those buildings really knew what they were doing when it came to human human health and well-being for in a lot of ways obviously um there were some issues in victorian times we had a very busy london very industrial london that was very polluted and you know very very densely populated homes a lot of the time but let's just take out of context a victorian house and look at it we've got things like high ceilings so we're going to get lots of daylight and that feeling of like psychological sense of freedom that comes with a high ceiling um you've got your own front door so a sense of um kind of ownership belonging um you've got generally dual, dual aspect if not triple aspect because you've often got an l shape <laughs> at the back um so you're getting light in you can get cross ventilation so you get you're kind of flushing the air through very quickly getting good air quality and lots of ventilation um often brick built so um you've got nice tactility at ground floor where you can interact you know touch the building facade and actually get that sense of tactility that we talk about which kind of makes you um a little bit more mindful of your surroundings engage with your surroundings more than say just typical like plasterboard finishes that we see and um, yeah, so loads and loads of things that are working really well within a Victorian home that do support our health and well-being. Obviously, if we are then renovating, we need to be aware of lots of those things I was talking about. So are you going to put in new carpets that emit loads of VOCs, which actually have a really negative impact on the indoor air quality and things like that? Um, are the windows necessarily big enough? That's one thing. Obviously, um, window sizes on older houses tend to be a bit smaller, so that might be something that we look to renovate. But then... Um, you've got that issue of sustainability and heat loss and over, or overheating if you've got two big southern facing windows. So 
all these things are interconnected and everything hangs quite finely in balance. But um, now I'd say generally traditional housing is actually pretty good and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from it. And most of them have their own back gardens as well. Which yeah, is cool. true. true. Um, so we're sort of getting to the to the half hour mark. So um, I guess, Ben, if there's uh, sort of one thing uh, from you from a, a well-being perspective you'd like other architects, clients, builders out there to, to really sort of think about it and try and drive forward um, as we sort of exit lockdown and, and sort of get back to some sort of normality, what would your uh, key takeaway be? Oh, I think it would just be that um, designing for health and well-being is more and more important now than it has ever been. And the last three months have shown us that. Um, but really that it's it's got to be a holistic thing. You've got to integrate these concepts into your designs from an early stage so a bit like sustainability you can't just chuck a wind turbine or a solar panel on the top of a building and say i've created a sustainable building you've got to really start embedding those concepts from an early stage and it's the same with health and well-being it's about how you orient your building on the site you know where you place your height um you know where you place your windows every single decision you make is going to have some impact on the way that the residents experience that so it's going to affect their mental health and also a lot of the physical aspects of the building which are going to impact their, their physical health. Fantastic. Well, thank you um, very much for your time. I'll let you know if we get more views than Tim. You can start having a little sort of <laughs> if we, internal competition. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're going to beat Tim, no problem. <laughs> Uh, well, no, it's been a, a really interesting uh, conversation. So thank you and thank you, Sarah, for, for joining me as well um, and questioning uh, Ben. Uh, we'll put some links to your book um, in the, the bio so that uh, anyone uh, who wants to, to read more can um, can go find that. And um, as always, uh, if you've um, enjoyed listening to us, don't forget to like, subscribe and make sure that you tune in to um, our next episode. So thank you. Thank you very much and um, see you all soon. Great. Thank, Thank you. you so much, guys. Come to Invent for the highest R&D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.